Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last time we covered the mutiny of German officers called the Powder Barrel Convention. The officers trying to make their demands part of the Swedish future peace, which was as it did, as the Swedish plan was to take into account the officers' contentment. Saxony also tried to unsuccessfully pull allies from Sweden, the Germans in between trying to make their own deals. This eventually led to armed conflict with initial Saxon success, but the Swedes turned the tide after a small victory who still retreated to a more secure position even in the face of victory. This did allow Swedish reinforcements to arrive after diplomacy with Poland fell apart, putting the Swedes on a better foot, and Poland had their whole mess of determining if they were going to join the war or not, which eventually led to zero, and which would have put Sweden on a worse foot if they had gotten involved, but Sweden gave up a bunch of their imperial territory to ensure that Poland didn't get in the war. But with that covered, let's get started. Saxon tried to reopen negotiations in November with the Swedes and German officers, but Sweden was in a better position, so they would only allow a settlement if the empire as a whole accepted it. This did lead to dissension among the Swedish ranks, as several high officers defected, high officers meaning German officers, but the Swedish army as a whole remained intact, most of the soldiers staying in the army, even when their officer defected or left the army. As an example, one officer tried to leave, but Kaifausen came out of retirement, advancing with the French to maintain the loyalty of the troops that officer could have taken with him. And going back to German patriotism, which I talked about in the last couple episodes, while many of the officers were opportunistic, and would wait and delay till they could benefit the most from defecting, it certainly delayed military efforts for the Saxons, like I mentioned last time, as they were trying to wait for more officers to defect to weaken the Swedes, which meant they weren't condemning anyone or going on military operations. The Swedish army still wasn't in the best shape, and a good forceful advance could unravel it, but Johan delayed, sapping the morale of the Imperials. They also didn't want to fight their old allies, and their commander, Baudison, had fallen into alcoholism, losing the energy he had when he first became a commander. I quote, Early in the morning, Baudison addressed the cavalry who were standing up to their knees in muck, telling them they should feed their horses because he, att- because he intended to attack the enemy. I daren't say what kind of swearing and uproar that caused. Tell the dog turd he should feed his wife, the whore, should we feed the muck to our horses. So, to say the least, they weren't happy. Yeah, troops can get mighty pushy when the officers are trying to do things that they didn't want to do. And Johann George, continuing to not denounce the Germans on the Swedish side, to the chagrin of his supporters, became an issue due to financial conflicts and issues. The tax rate of Saxony since 1618 hadn't been raised high enough to support the levying of troops of 1624, which only raised the debt higher and higher, and by 1628 the debt had doubled to around 7 million florins due to the fact that debt collection was falling behind, as it's harder to maintain. And it only became worse when they became fully involved in 1631, a diet in 1635 only keeping the existing rates, so same amount of money's coming in, but there's more troops, more money, more more money needed, just everything. And this is after the war, but by 1652, the debt was around 25 million florins, which, again, is beyond the war, but showed that this debt would last for a long time, and, and debt can last for decades, if not centuries. It's not, you can't just get rid of debt, as much as it can be promised, debt has to be paid to something. See what happened with France and the American Revolution, or the build-up to that and their whole French Revolution thing. So finances were once again a major issue, like they keep becoming, and Saxony was floundering as they tried to contain Sweden in the north. This led to potential for a swing back from Sweden and their allies, especially with France more mobilizing the troops. And it should be said that the defection from Sweden, while depriving them of senior and experienced officers, also reduced the financial burden on the Swedes as they didn't have to get paid in the land and officers were way more expensive than foot soldiers. 
and the rest of the officers not defecting effectively meant that those who stayed were outlaws and had little choice but to stick out with the Swedes, so they could either go back to the Imperials and be hung or fined or whatever their punishment was, or stay with the Swedes and hope to get some money out of it. But this whole Saxony negotiation had also shown Achenstierna he had to shore up his alliance with France, and Richelieu was realizing the same thing due to their failed offensive in 1635, one where supply lines failed, France was inexperienced, they were not ready for the full scope of the war, that whole thing. So France sent an envoy in late 1635 and early 1636 to negotiate with Sweden. So by March 30th of 1636, a treaty was created and officially ratified by the King of France on May 11th. France agreed to initially pay 60,000 talers Sweden claimed from the subsidy that was cancelled after Gustavus died, which means their promised money, Gustavus died, they did not get paid the money. And they also got a higher subsidy rate coming from France, which was even paid before it was ratified as Oxenstierna didn't want to be fully shackled to France for peace talks. But the higher subsidy was paid anyways because France really needed Sweden, and Sweden did need France. France didn't have the best year in 1635, so they were reluctantly forced to go along with the payments. This treaty, the Treaty of Wismar, benefited Sweden in two main ways. For one, it allowed Sweden to recruit four British regiments and silence Oxenstierna's critics back home, which he used to travel back to Sweden to deal with domestic matters and to work from the home front, leaving others to represent the Swedes in the empire. This treaty was a net benefit to Sweden, giving them money and more backing from France. It would definitely show up the Swedes and it would only bolden their negotiations, as the negotiations with the Empire were keeping going, with little results. Ferdinand was being overconfident and Oxenstierna was seeing an improved military situation as a way to get better results, which, now that there is a chance it could get better, there's no reason to stop fighting. Which, it's kind of one of those things that if you have hope, there's no point to not stop fighting if you can get better terms. The war had also become restricted to the war had also become restricted to fighting between the Odair and Elbe, so neither side was spreading their forces thin at the moment. So negotiations were a formality, and Sweden was definitely fishing for better terms, though knowing Ferdinand, he wouldn't accept better terms from Sweden as he was someone who wanted pieces on his terms, not on somebody else's, considering every other one was on his. And like happens many times, while people negotiate, the war continues. And like I mentioned a minute ago, the fighting had been focused now, and the fighting against Philia was one of those, as with that dying down, Ferdinand was able to move 10,000 troops to reinforce Saxony. Their commander, Hatzfeldt, was a long-serving officer in the Imperial Army and known as a skilled strategist, although he was known to micromanage the battlefield too hard, losing control once the battle started. At this time period, like I mentioned long ago and probably multiple times over this podcast, you can only control so much in the battlefield before you have to rely on officers or other people to kind of do their thing. We don't have modern communication, even modern-day battlefields can be a mess. Hatzfeld also tended to blame his subordinates when he failed, which is usually never good quality, because it's one thing to be, the subordinate did bad, another thing to go, I failed because this guy, it's not my fault. But he was named as the new commander of the Saxon forces, with the last one resigning, Bautissen willingly leaving. The Swedish German army as a whole was around 45,000 men, which is focused on Mecklenburg and Pomerania. Their numbers were down due to the Baltic freezing over, which prevented reinforcements from arriving. The field forces only run 6,000 under Leslie and 12,000 under Benair. Benair still was trusted German forces and retreated to Werben, like I mentioned before, Hotzfeld taking Magdeburg by July 11th of 1636, after a short siege. The city had a low population at this point, but it was a strategic goal of the Saxons relating to the Peace of Prague, as Magdeburg was a major 
major strategic center and one of the big first holds Sweden got when they first invaded. Benedict continued to fall back as Werben was ravaged by plague on August 12th, moving west to join up with Leslie to fall back through Lower Saxony. Hatzfeld detached 4,000 men to protect and put pressure on Brandenburg while he advanced with the rest of his forces. More imperial forces were detached to join the advance north towards western Pomerania and Mecklenburg, and Benedict was moving to force the imperials into a battle, trying to control the bridgehead that controlled well, the advance of the Imperials into Swedish territory. He met up with 3,800 men from Pomeranian garrisons, which gave him around 17,000 men in total as they approached the site of the battle. Benair then advanced east to get communications between Hatzfeld and the 4,000 men he sent out earlier, which forced Hatzfeld to recall them, waiting at Wittstock to collect the men, and this is the section about the Battle of Wittstock, which, if that wasn't obvious... Benair, learning of this, rushed to battle, trying to engage him before the reinforcements arrived. So getting into battle, well, into the battle itself, the numbers on each side were about even, Hatzfeld having maybe around a thousand more men, and he was positioned facing south along a southeast, along the southeast end of a low Schreckenberg Ridge southwest of Wittstock. His left flank was protected by the Dose River and the Fretzdorf Heath. The front line of the ridge was reinforced by trenches and chained wagons, held by the marshy and wooded terrain, and the Halgengrab forest blocked the approach from the west, leaving them with a very fortified and strong position, and it really presented the Swedes with only one avenue of attack, as the west was effectively blocked off. Benair crossed the, the Dose early on Saturday, October 4th, at Fretzdorf, moving over the heath to a hill between the river and Hatzfeld position. He saw the difficulty of the attack he'd have to make, but was determined to fight regardless, putting his army by sending around 3,100 cavalry to the west to engage the enemy flank. And Leslie, with 5,800 men, were sent to engage the front of the army and pin them, while the rest of the army under Benair's command moved to turn around the hill and assault the left flank of the Saxons, hoping to turn on their flanks. This could be a potentially bad move, as he was risking each army in part, or in detail, as there were three separate fighting forces. But it could also pay off if things went well. His forces were spotted by 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, and the fights for Scharfenberg Hill began in earnest, becoming the center of the battle. Hatzfeld drew men from his center to join the fight on the left, pushing back the Swedes into the woods, Leslie's men drawing into that fight to stem the advance of the Saxons. There was fear and rumor that Benair had been killed in the battle, but it was revealed to be false when signal guns showed the general was alive on the other side of the battlefields, which is the right flank, or the Swedish left, the Imperial right. The Imperial right was taken by surprise and lost their artillery, but it began to get dark around the evening, so the both sides called off the attack as night battles were not something you generally wanted to do. The Swedes took around 3,500 casualties at a minimum, and the battle had no clear winner, but the Imperials and Saxons had been battered as well, the morale low. Hatzfeld and Johann decided to retreat, the Swedes claiming they killed around 5,000 Imperials in the retreat, but that was not likely due to the army retreating in good order, and you can't really kill that many men in an army of that size if they're retreating in good order. The Imperials took around 5,000 casualties with around 2,000 dead, and the major thing was they lost their baggage and artillery. The main effect of this battle, while not the decisive victory the Swedes would have wanted, was enough to secure their position to give them the strategic victory they needed. The last army in Germany of the Swedes still stood, and the Swedes took advantage of it, which encouraged the Gulefs to not bow to the Emperor due to the victory, and it also caused the court at Berlin to flee to Kusterin, because Berlin could be a target. The Imperials lost their discipline on the retreat, looting their way, th looting their way to the Lower Rhine, and the Saxons went home at the same time, 
so it wasn't good for morale or discipline at this point for them. Minera then went southwest through Thuringia to relieve Erfurt, reopening communications with the Hessens, and moving east into Saxony, taking Torgau by February 1637. So the Swedes were on a much better foot, and the Imperials were still undefeated, but at the moment, Sweden needed to survive more than dominate. They could build their strength and get reinforcements, and France was also building up their forces and preparing for the war, so the war was going to stay the same as it currently was with no clear victor at the moment. But that's it for this week, as next time we get into more peace attempts in the Habsburg home front. I want to thank you all for listening and for keeping me coming back to work on this. Social media links will be in the description box on the links themselves. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder that Patreon, thanks to, thank you to those who support me. Interview and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time.